It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about the world's greatest shave. The world's greatest shave is one of the country's longest running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change, that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, Do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and, and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. 
Hello, welcome, welcome back. Uh, today we are kicking off season three, which is really hard to believe that uh, we are now up to season three of this podcast. It's been an absolute uh, joy and really an honor to be able to sit with uh, many people to have conversations around blood cancer. And of course, we've not only spoken with patients, but carers as well. So we thank our our, um, our guests that we have um, spoken to already. But we wanted to say uh, that we hope during this time of break for us that things have been going well for you all that you have the support that you need and that the journey so far has been kind so in store for season three I currently am on maternity leave so you may not hear my voice in my interviews um, as much but uh, the team have been busy working away hosting many interviews and Vanessa and Marianne have done a wonderful job so we are looking at, of course, keeping the essence of talking blood cancer and sharing stories with you all, that that being from a patient's perspective and also a carer's, because we do really value um, the importance of a shared story and how that helps you feel connected and less alone through your journey. We thought that it also may be... Um, a good idea to bring on some healthcare professionals onto the podcast. We wanted to, I guess, break down that barrier and that wall to see them, a healthcare professional as a person and to see why um, they've decided to spend their career and their time in the haematology world um, or also supporting a blood cancer. So we have a, a, a myriad of different guests in the realms of healthcare professionals coming on for season three and we really do hope that um, it allows you to see not just the healthcare professional but the person as well and that we hope that you do get some enjoyment out of these little short episodes and also that it um, may open your eyes up to other other roles that are in the healthcare professional world when it comes to haematology. So take care and I hope that you enjoy Talking Blood Cancer Season 3. So let's get into today's episode. Good afternoon, my name's Mary Ann and I'm with the Talking Blood Cancer podcast with the Leukaemia Foundation and together here with me this afternoon um, I would like to welcome Fiona McWhirter. Thank you Fiona for joining us. Thank you for asking. How we usually start these conversations is just asking a little bit about you. Um, where were you at diagnosis and what was happening to you that led you to the doctor and and what diagnosis did you receive? Um, so back in about 2019, I had some low blood counts that my doctor was like trying to figure out what the cause might be. Um, and I had, I think I must have donated my entirety of my blood just to try and figure out what it was, but um, nothing sort of came up. So she then referred me to a haematologist and then in February of 2020, I went to the haematologist who um, did the bone marrow biopsy and I was at work and got a, had my phone consult because COVID, we weren't allowed to go oh, down to the cancer care. And, yeah, so uh, in May 2020, I was diagnosed with myelodysplasia syndrome over the phone while I was at work. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What were you doing? What's your role in a work? At, at that point, I was um, working as a nurse and I was in the ophthalmology department. So I worked with So working, 
working with eyes and even that nursing background how did you were you aware of what mds myeloid dysplastic syndrome was or i'd never heard of it never heard of it no and i'd been nursing at that point for nearly 30 years and i'd never wow. come across it so what were your first reactions to hearing those words um initially i was I, the, the name didn't mean anything to me so i didn't really understand the gravity of the diagnosis so initially mm-hmm. i thought oh yeah it's a syndrome of oh, i'll do something and she'll be right like um but i hadn't got all of the cytogenetics back because at the time all the laboratories were so far behind um because covid had sort of taken over everything um and so we didn't actually have an entirely clear picture of where my mds was sitting so he gave me a leukemia foundation booklet left it at the reception at cancer care and said only read the highlighted section and don't Google anything until we have more information. And I was like, Goodness oh, my God, you're telling a nurse not to Google something. Yes. <laughs> and you're giving a booklet and asking only to read the highlighted section. Yeah. Anyway. So I read through it all and I'm like, oh, isn't that nice of that this is how I was? I must have been in denial or something. I'm not entirely sure. And I'm like, oh, is that nice of Leukemia Foundation putting out this information? Oh, that's lovely. And then I'm like, oh, there's all these leukemia things in there too. Oh, okay. And then I got to the MDS bit and I thought, all right, he said only read the highlighted bit. Okay, so I read the highlighted bit and I'm like, okay. And I sort of didn't really understand the gravity of it at all. Um, and a few weeks later, I would have been a couple of weeks later, I went to my husband and I said, did you know this is cancer? And he's like, uh, yeah, I knew when I read the booklet. <laughs> oh, because he read. He didn't get the highlighted only bit. <laughs> no, and I went, oh, okay. Oh, I better take it seriously then. <laughs> so how were you feeling at that time? That led you, you know, were you tired? Yeah. Did you have any symptoms? The, prior to um so the blood tests were actually generic tests for, you know, plus 40, you go and have workouts done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was always really quite tired, super fatigued, falling asleep at the, on the couch, you know, that sort of thing. And I just thought it was busy. Nurse, five mm. kids, life is busy. So I thought that was why. Um, and I would have strange reactions, like really I would get infections really easily. So, like, you know, we did a lot of camping, so if I got bitten by an ant or something, it would turn into cellulitis quite quickly. And okay. mm. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I'm not that old. Like, I shouldn't be, you know, like that shouldn't be happening for someone in my 40s or, you know. Mm. Um, but still didn't think anything of it, just thought maybe I need to slow down and look after myself a little bit. Had no idea that the cause of it was actually MDS. <clears throat> wow. So next steps, so you would, you know, you had the booklet and you were sent to a haematologist. What, what treatment were you advised to have? Like what was, the, what was the plan for you? So initially he wanted to wait and watch because I'm young. Well, I mm-hmm. loved it when he said that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was young, he wanted me to wait um, and just see how it played out. Um, mm-hmm. How did that leave you feeling? Oh, it's not much fun. It's really not mm. fun. You go from appointment to appointment and whenever you get a temperature or whenever I, I've had, oh, 
I feel like I'm a boomerang at the hospital, like, because every time I get temperature, I have to present because I'm neutropenic to the hospital. Right. Is that still today? Yep. So every time my temperature is 38, I have to present to the hospital. Um, So I was waiting and watch for about 12 months or so. I'm still waiting and watch, I guess, but then... Because of my frequency of infections, they put me on to filgrastim injections mm-hmm. twice a week um, because I was neutropenic and that's supposed to help with that, which it kind of did. It did lift my white cells and neutrophils up a little bit. But in January, just gone, I ended up in hospital with extreme pain um, in my left side with radiating to my shoulder um and i didn't know what it was um and so we had an ultrasound and my spleen is massive so they've stopped the filgrastim now because one of the things which i didn't realize um was that it can cause your spleen to rupture or enlarge quite significantly and 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 i was reading something this morning um online and it said you know if, if you get pain there and, and radiated to your shoulder to present to your doctor straight away. Like, it's an emergency. And I went, oh. So I didn't really get that. Like, I didn't take that seriously, yeah, as I should have. No. So when you were first, just, just retrace, so when you first initially engaged with that haematologist and he advised you that he wanted to keep an eye on your MDS in a watch and wait capacity, how did you manage receiving that and what did you or what measures did you use to try and come to terms with having to live, you know, in that watch and wait space? Because that would be a lot emotionally and physically to you know, adapt to. Yeah, very much so. I actually um, saw a psychologist to help me navigate yeah good because like when I told the children when Mm. I I actually understood what it was so I could tell the kids um we tried to explain it to them that I'm living with cancer not dying from just Mm -hmm. because of the wait and watch thing but it's the whole like there is a huge amount of anxiety prior to an appointment so you have all your bloods and that done Mm. there's a lot of anxiety sort of between that point and when you have your appointment and every time I get a temperature or every time there's a change in something I think oh or I get the little rash I think oh my platelets have dropped off again and it's like it's just this constant navigation roller coaster oh it really is it is a real Mm. roller coaster and there's no real definitive um treatment plan for it so that's that's where I struggle the most. Like mm. a lot of your, you know, like your tumours, for example, mm. it's pretty, you know, you know what the steps are. There's surgery, mm. there's radiation, there's chemotherapy, there's blood. So I've, I've always worked in that space. So there's always like mm. there's a plan. But then for, for me, there's no real plan. It's symptom management and... You know, and I've spoken to the transplant team, so I am eligible for that. However, I have to actually find out when I go back 
um, for my results of my latest bone marrow biopsy last week. If that, if they have to remove the spleen because it's still causing significant pain, does that affect your ability to have a stem cell transplant? Uh, I'm not sure. So that's something I have to. Having to keep, a, you know, the management of your own healthcare plan, I think it's probably something that, you know, I think we bubble along in life and we take our health for granted. And, and then now you've got this condition that needs close monitoring. Absolutely. And having to put in place certain things. Like, let's let's just retrace again. You said you had five children? Correct. So what were your steps in communicating to them? What was happening with you? I mean, I'm sure there would be some need for you to come into an acceptance space yourself before you communicated that to them. But if you can share, because I think there's a lot of people out there who, just like you, are mothers and, um, you know, uh, needing to communicate to their kids what's happening. Um, how did you go about doing that? Um, for us, there's, so my kids were like 20, 19 and much younger. So at the time, and so the older kids, I could actually speak to like I was speaking to my family, like my mum and yeah. dad or my brother or whatever. So I could actually navigate that quite sort of well in that mm. you could explain it to them in terms quite easily that they could understand. But when they're younger, the youngest would have been, I think, 10. 10? Mm. Yeah, so 10, 13, 14, something like that. Um, so we had to sort of tell the 10-year-old, like, different information to what we told a 13 or 14-year-old just because of their level of understanding. Yeah. And Was that emotionally exhausting? Oh, it really was, yeah. Yeah. It, like, most of me didn't want to scare them because, like, I was mm. scared, and I still am. I still get scared, like, so still, I don't mm. know. I don't know what is going to happen next. I don't like. It's difficult, you know, to to navigate that and to still thrive at life. Like mm. when you know that of the tearing pain you're getting is because the ligaments on the spleen are so big and blah blah blah, and that rash that you've got. Well, that's because you're platelets have dropped off and oh, you go camping you have to be super careful not to get bitten or not to get scratched by anything or not to, mm. so there's a, a whole other level of um awareness, awareness. yeah yeah mm. so, sorry back to the kids um yeah. <laughs> no good i love i love it's just an open conversation i love that you're sharing out loud what's happening yeah and so yeah. so with um with the kids they were quite frightened because as soon as oh. as soon as people hear the word cancer when they're little, they're only, most of the time when they're young, their only sort of experience with cancer is a person not surviving mm -hmm. because it's a grandparent or, you know, that kind of thing. So for the kids it was like it was we had to really focus on at the moment I'm reasonably well. We don't know what the future is going to hold, but this is, you know, I'm well for now. And we'll just focus on the now so that you don't get bogged down in what's going to happen in two years, five years, whatever time. Because when you get diagnosed with MDS, depending on where you're at, you get give us told, oh, well, the prognosis is this many years. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not happy with that number. <laughs> no. 
No. Do you think you make some kind of um, mental note where you challenge and, and just say to yourself, no, this isn't going to be me, and then you build around, well, okay, thinking that, what choices I, am I going to make about how I spend time? Absolutely, absolutely. So when I, um, I, I no longer work as a nurse, um, so when I first got diagnosed, I was like, all right, I have to reduce stress in my life. I have to then, you know, you're so busy making a life and making a life for your family and paying your bills and all that sort of stuff, which is important because you need to do that. Mm. However, mm. like I wasn't living my mm. life and like it, and I know it's cliche, but it really did take a diagnosis like that to give me a kick up the backside, you know, like we're only here for X amount of time. How are you spending that time? Like coming home from work and work's getting the best of you. You come home and your family are getting what's left over, which is not much when you're doing 10 to 12-hour days. Mm. So I sort of thought, well, no one knows what the future holds with MDS. Um, so I reduced my hours and then I ended up taking a lot of leave and now I don't work as a nurse at all. So I've switched that up completely and now I just do some lymphatic drainage massage and I do um, co-facilitate retreats with a girlfriend and I do healing circles for women. How wonderful. And I would imagine that the choices that you've made in that space have drawn on your own lived experience. Absolutely. That has drawn you to those areas. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the main, like the main thing is, which was a bit of a wake-up call for me, is like why wait for, why are we waiting for that moment where your whole world falls apart and you have to then rebuild it again to live a life that makes your soul sing and brings joy like to others and also your family still gets the best of you and like your health like my health I've been very fortunate that like it's progressing along of course but I'm not as symptomatic as um as the specialists are I think the surprised I am not getting as sick as often and as bad as what I do. So I'm... And do you think that's attributable to the decisions that you are making about, you know, when you look at the, I guess if you if you look at the whole self, you know, you're not just Western medicine, you know, you are being supervised by a haematologist, but then to make, I guess, those decisions around, you know, what makes Fiona tick what what brings joy to Fiona's life and looking at all those other components um you know what would you like to share with people who are listening in that space because I do think you know and it's a bit of a stepping stone if you can take us on that stepping journey like you know you touch on okay this is that watch and wait was really hard for me to adapt to um you know because some people I'm not saying this is your experience but some people when they find themselves in that place it's it's um it's really quite dark and they cry which i think is a normal response um yeah absolutely but, but, 
what was your experience? <laughs> um, so initially I was really frustrated because, and I think mm. I was conditioned all those years working in the medical field. Yes. Every time you're in a hospital or you, you're looking after someone, you have a plan. Everybody has a plan and the expected outcome. Structure. Yeah, and this does not have that. Like, it does not have that. And, like, it, I had to unlearn so many things because I was, it was really difficult for me to get a handle on there not being a, this is a step-by-step thing. Like, no, no, we're just going to wait until something changes and then we'll navigate something different when something changes. And so you conditioned How did you... Is, pardon? In, in that moment, like when you had to say, okay, well, I've seen the doctor and they've said this and I've been sent away to, again, wait for X amount of time, that would have been very hard to do. So can you remember back to what you chose during that time between the between your blood tests, what you chose to keep yourself afloat? Yeah, oh, well, I had the psychologist, but I also did yes. a, I just found that, just trying to be able to still still the 50 million questions in my brain. Mm. So I did a lot of um, meditating and just a lot of being outside and just being at one with nature, just looking and watching mm. and observing. And it's kind of like that grounding, the five senses grounding technique, the five things that you can see and, like, I draw on that. Talk us through that because I think that's a wonderful message, you know. Yeah. Um, like five things that you can see, four things that you can, oh, God, I can't remember the order of it, hear. I have to write down the senses. My memory is really poor. No, um, that's okay. That's, that's another five thing. Five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, yeah. three things that you can touch. Touch. And then the last one. Two things you can taste. Oh, the last one's taste. Two things that you can smell. Smell. That was it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. My I get a bit no and and that's quite normal and I love that that's sort of come out in the conversation too because you know it's that acceptance isn't it you know it's that acceptance that sometimes different conditions and you know different treatments can yeah give us side effects that we don't necessarily love but it's that acceptance oh yeah that's me but I know I can practice this but um, I have it on the fridge but I couldn't see it from this angle (laughs) that's all right that's okay and it's a different setting don't be silly it's fine fine Um, it is a lovely grounding exercise it really is because it gets me out of the overwhelm of like not getting my questions answered as specifically as I want them answered um yeah and it's no one's fault it's just the nature of MDS it's but then just to keep myself from not going into this, you can go into a really not-so-nice place. When they say, like, okay, your um, your prognosis is five years, for example, you think, oh, so if I'm waiting for my next appointment, then, well, that's just another three months into my prog- You know, Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, mm. oh, it's just another three mm. months until the Like, when is stuff going to change? Like, because it's getting closer to the end instead of, living like living between each one 
you're sort of just waiting for the next one for more for uh, for an answer. Like mm. I had to try and let go of waiting for those specific answers that are not always going to be there. And you know, it's not it's not easy. It's not fun. But no. at the same time, if if you use all of your energy just thinking, oh God, it's just that closer to that number that they said, and I'm still in no man's land, it, it can be really confronting. Mm. And it's confronting for the family as well. Mm. Because I was just like, about to ask that. <laughs> it's not, it, this isn't a journey that I'm going on on my own. So, you know, it's difficult when my husband, and he's not medical either. So he'll sit in the appointment and I'll ask all my 50,000 questions <laughs> and <laughs> not get the answers that I want. And, and he's, he, so afterwards he'll be like, so what does that mean? Like, where are we sitting then now? Like, <laughs> do you think, do you think for you, I mean, you mentioned just a little bit briefly, you said that the doctors are very happy with where you're at. And you also said about that time frame. Do you think that that time frame is as significant for you now, having put in, you know, having um, drawn on different things and have, um, having them in your life like meditation and like those grounding exercises that you do and stepping into nature is the significance of that five-year thing is that a, still a thing for you that you hold on to or it's no longer there it's blurred it's 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 not so much I when I when I have to go to hospital I just mm -hmm. think oh god like then I think about it yeah um, because I'm unwell and mm. so then you do start your brain just automatically. I think that's a normal response. Yeah. So you start thinking about it then. Um, but as a rule, not really. I don't really think about it like too much now. Now that I've learnt <clears throat> to live a life that brings me joy um, and doing what I'm doing means that I can also navigate um, life around my fatigue as well because I get extremely fatigued and so I see I only have three clients a week that's okay I don't need any more mm -hmm. than that um, and I see two one day one the other and I do circles once or twice a month and that's a few hours so that's all stuff that is helping other people but is also manageable with my fatigue levels and the like and I, I do get like hip pain and and you know in the big bones they get a bit tender mm. not as bad as when I was on the field resting that was just that was next level but yeah it so it makes you, you mentioned difference. yeah you mentioned fatigue has this been from diagnosis your chronic fatigue um it's yes so it's mm. I feel I'm managing it a lot better now that mm. I'm not having to do eight hours of work a day and then mm -hmm. parent and now I can sort of parent a lot easier. It's a lot nicer for everybody because I have the energy to cook good food and s watch my kids do their things and sit and watch a movie with them and we've just had to alter my expectations mm. of what 
I should be contributing to the family too because that's been a massive thing. Giving up work, I felt like I was no longer able to contribute to my family, so that was something I had to navigate, which is not true. Like I'm still contributing, not financially as much. Um, but but, that, but you, you, you as a nurse, that was an identity thing for you, wasn't correct. it? It's who you felt, you know, it was something, a qualification you'd achieved, a profession that, as you say, contributing to the family life. So to step away from that, there's a loss, isn't there? Oh, there really was. I, yeah. whole grieving process, which I mm. really did not expect. And it, yeah, it was a very, very real grieving process to let go of something I've done for so long um, absolutely, that I loved because I like mm. to be of service. So that was really difficult. There were tears and then there was anger and there was blah and then there was pity parties. And was <laughs> the, the whole works. <laughs> yes. Did you find that when you stepped away from, from work and you were adjusting to, you know, stepping away from a role that you loved and all of that did how did you find the communication changed in the home with your partner and with the boys um it was a lot less rushed like mm-hmm. it was a do this do that do this do that gotta to go to bed gotta have this gotta blah 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 i actually had the time to you know talk to them about their training session for example just something simple like that you could actually have a how was it and they could actually tell you at length instead of okay cool moving on to the next thing because you're so busy and you don't have time so to actually have those connection times has been a lot really good and then Mm. you know we've made frog hotels together and we've done things on our property and we're painting pots and um you know just things like that that we wouldn't have had Mm. time to do before when quality time and make but actually actively creating memories actively mm. doing it so you know if even if that five years ends up being 10 15 whatever like or if it's shorter it doesn't matter we're actively making memories like so that the kids everyone has because memories are important right like well memories are important i mean all of us feed off you know going down memory lane and and remembering valuable time spent together and, and the enjoyment that you had in the moment. So I do think memories are really important. Just wanted to touch on your fatigue again, Fiona. Um, what other measures did you incorporate into your day to manage that fatigue? I know you mentioned that stepping away from work allowed you that, I guess, that freedom from stress to focus on the quality time spent with, you know, your hubby and your kids. But what other things did you do to, to manage the fatigue that you were experiencing? Naps. <laughs> Naps, yeah. Short no, up. I, I don't feel guilty. Like I did for a, I did initially when I was so tired. I'm like, I just need to have a sleep, but, oh, I have to do this, this, this and this. It took a combined effort with, you know, my husband and myself, like to, to give myself permission to have that rest. And to that's that's a big thing for someone who's been so busy and that kind of thing and had such like responsible roles in the workplace mm. to give yourself permission to rest when it's so unheard of 
work, you know, it, in most workplaces, I'm just going, mm. oh, I know, which is the hospital. Um, so to actually give myself permission to rest is just it's a reading. I do a lot of reading. Um, drawing. I did art. Th- I took an art oh, therapy yeah. course, which Good I find so, so amazing. Like just how to navigate big emotions, drawing, I think with just repetitive drawing and just it's how cathartic. So good. So good. Yeah. Like, like even if you just scribble this massive big thing, like I, there was one of them is you breathe in to take three breaths and just scribble with on this bit of paper and then mm. on all of the joins you just um, instead of it being like a sharp corner, you just draw it into a soft corner. And then you just colour in those boxes. And by the time you've done that, like everything's cool and you've got this really pretty colourful picture that you created because you were really cranky or you were overwhelmed and you've just done this thing. And like something so simple is just such a... So rewarding. Yeah. And even I've got the kids doing it now too. (laughs) Oh, how lovely. And boys as well. I'm impressed. Yeah, well, it's not often. Let's not get too carried mm. away, but sometimes it works. <laughs> oh, no, I love that. And and tell me, did you did you incorporate exercise or any of those other measures to help with the fatigue or Thank you, was Greg. it just napping was key? No, I do. I was going walking. Okay. Um, I found that was too fatiguing like uh-huh. because... The kids would go for a 5K run and I'm like, oh, well, I'll just walk it. But I should have probably not done the 5Ks, maybe done it a bit smaller. But what I do do is um, I walk in the pool. Oh, that's yeah. good. So I just mm. I go in a couple of times a week and my girlfriend, who's um, she joins me, she's no longer working and, her, her, our kids laugh at us. They're like, oh, you're the old ladies doing the old lady walk, <laughs> walk and talk in the pool. And we're like, yep, we are. And we own it. And look, <laughs> and look at you. You look so young. Um, <laughs> but I, take, I, I do like to compliment people who are just making investments in themselves. Like if you look at just capturing what you've just mentioned there, like you're walking and you're napping and, and you're drawing and I'm sure there's other things you've stepped away from work, that whole redefining who you are and what what meaning is important in your life, they're yeah. significant things. Oh, they absolutely are. You a, um, MDS is one of those unusual conditions. Um, do you have any... Um, do you have any other MDS people that you've connected with and and what what is most value to all of you because a lot of it is that component around watch and wait which is which is a really difficult thing to sit in that moment and have to accept that do you have any tips or tricks there's there's suggestions there's a few support groups that I've joined um Mm -hmm. And they're amazing support. They're worldwide, so sometimes mm. what they do and what they say is very different to what we do in, in Australia, here in Australia. Um, and a lot of them are the carers of people with mm-hmm. MDS because most people with MDS are much older than me. Okay. Um, so they say that, like, 
one in one in ten people are under fifty at diagnosis of MDS. So, you know, nine out of ten people that are diagnosed are in their you know sixties or seventies. The mean age is seventy or seventy-five. I can't remember. I think it's seventy mm. of for diagnosis of MDS, and I'm not that. So no. sometimes it's a bit difficult with um, because where I'm at in my life is very different to someone 20 years my senior. Older. Um, and so that can be challenging and sometimes mm-hmm. they um, pass away and so that gets very yeah. confronting. That's very confronting, yes. And so then I have to step back for a bit because mm. it's like, oh, my gosh, X amount of people, you know, this week and it's like, oh, my God. Um I did. I have got a few people that are around my age. One lady's in Mexico. She's in her forties, and there's and um, actually they're in their sixties in Australia. There's there was one other lady that uh, her and I got diagnosed at the same time, and she had a different very. She had um, she had a, she had MDS Delph. 5Q, I think it's called. Mine is MDS, MLD, so I've got multi multilineal dysplasia, and she actually had a chromosomal abnormality oh, as well. Uh, so she was high risk, um, and I'm between low and intermediate. It depends on mm-hmm. where I am at the time. Does that give you comfort that you are in that that yeah. band? Or yeah, yeah it, it does. But also, I'm not complacent because I know it can flip just like that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they so one particular lady, like we got them quite close and we, was, we got diagnosed at the same time. I spoke to her every day. Um, and yeah, but I so losing her was was really difficult because um, no one else gets it, no, no one else gets the significance of your blood results like someone who has something wrong with their blood has that absolutely and i think you know people don't give um you know they don't understand do they you know there's nothing more powerful than actually connecting with someone who has sat on that side of the fence who truly gets the emotional investment leading up to yeah um, and then yeah there are a few that I keep in touch with quite regularly around the outside of the groups mm-hmm. because, as I said, I pull back from those at times Yeah, um, and yeah. I just speak to these core few. But the girl in Mexico, like we, because we're, she travels around, just whenever I travel she gets all the photos of Australia. Whenever she goes for a ride she sends me sunset, sunrise photo. Like I get to travel Mexico and she gets to travel Australia. So... <laughs> Oh, how lovely. <laughs> so that's how lovely because, yeah, I was speaking to another um, another blood cancer patient this morning and, um, you know, they were sharing with me the importance of connection, you know, the importance of belonging too. And I guess that, that you know, that, that lady in Mexico has provided both of that, sort of belonging to a community that's rare. Yeah. And also connecting to how others are just spending time. So lovely little seeds of advice and that reinvestment in your choices, I guess, and, you know, 
giving you that ambition to reach out and make those changes and embrace that life yeah. out there, whatever choices you want to make. And it's good that in these support groups sometimes they'll, like, say where they're from. So mm-hmm. then I'll just, like, message them or I'll just sort of put a comment, say I'm messaging them. Because if they're in Australia, there's not many of us around. No. That, that like, I don't know anyone in my area really that has has it. So con- making contact and connecting with people somewhere even in Australia has is good like you get to sort of share the same healthcare system so there's an understanding because everywhere is so different so true that's so true and having a good relationship with your healthcare team um, you know is important very important for your confidence well it really it it has and that's not the right right word Particularly with neutropenia, um, they the food side of things. Like I love food. Food is my thing. I love food, and so there's a lot of things that I can have to change how I eat things. There's a lot of things that I can no longer eat. So I've been to a dietitian and and sort of gotten the low down on you know like not the raw berries and stuff which I love and. Things like that. <laughs> but, you know, I can still eat. I can, you know, there's plenty of things I can do. I just have a little pity party every now and again when I see people <laughs> the things that I really want to eat and I'm like, damn it, I can't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but still, there's a choice there and, you know, your your choice in you and your health and well-being and what's important to you just overrides that and so the berry can go out the door because there's a better choice to be made. Yeah. And it's, but I think it's also having the information to make the choices. Yeah, like you actually true. need to have that information to have an informed choice. Some people may not realise that if they because I didn't know like until I was at my GP and she's like, "Well, you've got a chronic illness, so therefore you can have a care plan." And I just went, "My parents have got a care plan. What do I, mean? <laughs> I don't have a care plan." I'm not like, <laughs> but um. But then they explained, like, so then I could see a psychologist, I could see a dietitian, and I yeah. could gather, I could gather um, all the information to actually make better choices for myself and for my healthcare and for my dietary needs and how how I can implement, you know, a bit more protein that can help with, you know, fatigue and how different nutrients can. Mm make you feel a bit physically better it's not going to change what i have like it's not going to cure me but it can enhance how you're living but it, exactly and so instead of like and i've always said well not always said i've said after about 12 months of trying to get my head around what was going on with me i sort of thought you know what i don't want to just survive i want to thrive mm. well like and so i now I, i've been able to access all this information and yeah um you can make some informed choices correct and that's what you know that's what this podcast intends to show conversations like what you've just shared accessing a healthcare plan gathering your crew getting good information and guidance from a psychologist a dietitian an exercise physiologist you know investing in that so that you can manage better the fatigue and 
you know, other things that you might be struggling with. So I think that's a really positive, um, wonderful tip for people who are listening. Yeah, and yoga. Like yoga? Actually, mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I do things a bit differently at times and because I run these, I facilitate these women's circles, mm-hmm. um, one of the grant, I thought, oh, I, I don't really know anyone that teaches yoga around here. So, oh, I'll do myself a yoga course because <laughs> that's good for you <laughs> so, so that I can I can then do some grounding stretches and that before we go into a meditation when we're in circle so I started doing a yoga instructor's training online because <laughs> but how how wonderful is that and that's being proactive in who you are as an individual that's an investment in how you spend time yeah, because it brings you joy. You're sharing it. You said you were a service. You loved service delivery. Yeah, and that's you still continuing with that core value of yours to help others. And it's also, I have found it has reconnected me back to me. How lovely! Yeah, because we lose ourselves. Every, you know, we lose ourselves. We're busy working. We're paying bills. We're looking after the kids. We're managing a business or whatever it is that we're doing we're so mm. busy there's a that there's I had a massive disconnect between myself as a being mm. and me as mum wife um nurse you know yes first aider like all these other titles that I had but mm. what about the essence of who I am yes and yeah so doing the meditations and just really taking a step back I really got to reconnect which sounds a bit woo-woo but like I really got to reconnect back to myself and understand that you know there are things I can still be doing I don't have to live the life that you know that five-year thing I don't have to think about that that doesn't that that this does not define who I am and I just have to alter like I can't go surfing anymore because my spleen is like too big. I'm not allowed to do anything, like anything that might mm. rupture my spleen. Rupture spleen, yes, because yes. it's quite ready to go. So I can't do that. So that took a lot to. It's like, oh god, you go to the beach because we surf lifesavers. So we go to the beach. Mm. It's like waves are awesome. Oh, so instead of getting a pity party on it. I'm like, well, I can actually still get in the water and I can body surf. Like I can just ride the wave with my body and not and it, so it's just So doing a reframe and going, <laughs> Okay, whilst I can't do this, I can still enjoy this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, just wonderful. Because there's a lot of stuff you have to give up, you know, like I've mm. given up a lot of things. I used to do karate, for example, and I did really well. Okay won a medal at nationals one year and then I was going so for two years it was cancelled because of COVID and then last year I'm like I'm turning 50 I'm going to train I'm going to go back and I'm going to like just see if I can just be the same as I was then because it was all kata not kumite because you know risk of bleeding blah blah with this with low platelets and um but I couldn't I didn't have the energy to even train so I had to give that up so 
I had to reframe that because I was yes. gutted. Like so, it's just me mm. constantly re- challenges dreaming. coming up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, "Have you found that exhausting? Oh yeah, having to yeah, oh, yeah." yeah. How's your relationships gone? I know, you know, with your, I mean, I know with your boys, um, the relationships mother and son is different to that with your partner. Have, have, you know, having those challenges constantly and having to come to terms with, you know, giving up stuff and reframing and all of that, has that played, like has had a negative impact on your relationship with your hubby? Um. I, we we actually um, have we work together. We have actually had counselling together as well to oh, navigate good. this whole yep. process too. Yep. So um, so we've developed a really good. And we still have our moments, like mm, everything. I think that's with, every relationship. Correct, um, but I think we work together well with that. So when I'm having a moment, it's. Sometimes I don't have to explain why I'm having a moment sometimes. If I can, I will. And like this, we sort of have developed a strategy that works for us. And it, it took work. It took effort, you know, but. But you had the investment in each other to yeah. just make the effort. And that's all things in life. You know, that's yeah. all relationships. And so, kids, you know, like, that's lucky. And, and even with the kids, you know, they they've seen that I've had to give up stuff that it's been really important to me. Um, but then on the flip side, they've also seen me navigate that by doing other things so that they know, oh. like, not giving up, Yes, I think. So I think that's been a, a really important lesson for them to see as well that, I'm not just giving up. I'm navigating this as best as I can. I have days where I cannot get off that bed and I'm cooked for the day. Like mm. I'm done. Mm. I'm holding up in there. I make myself a cuppa and I read and sleep. And that's my day. Mm. Yep. And and I do what I need to do to get through to, to get through, you know, because it's this uh, this this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Yep. And so true. And it's it's hard work. Mm, it is so really accepting. Hard. It is hard work, but I take, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to congratulate you on, you know, accepting it. It is what it is, but making that commitment to, okay, well, tomorrow's another day, and therefore tomorrow I will. Whilst I can, I will, but I'll accept. It is what it is. Yeah, and that's and that's that's been the big learning thing is acceptance that I am not superhuman mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's okay yeah but it's so it's, it's okay <laughs> it is okay yeah and I love what you've shared this afternoon Fiona um, I know it's coming up to nearly 50 minutes it's quick how it's amazing how quickly time flies yeah really because I just my husband just he waved on his way out, so he's on his way to get the kids to take him to training after school. And I was like, oh, doesn't time fly? <laughs> time does fly. But, you know, I think on reflection, you, you know, you've really shared some fabulous things for people to take away with them because, as you know yourself, it's the seeds that are that are planted, but it's actually the individual that has to, you know, 
grow within and make the choices for themselves, the right choices for themselves. Yeah. So did you want to, like, you know, as all of our conversations go, you know, we do ask people, are there any key things that you want to leave the listeners with that um, you feel are the most, you know, most important things to remember, reflect? The, the biggest thing for me has been reconnecting back to myself and how mm-hmm. because when I'm able to act in my own truth, everyone benefits like everyone benefits because it comes from it all comes from acceptance and love of myself and therefore that's transferred onto the people that I'm dealing with whether it be my doctors my kids my husband my friends or parents or whatever like I'm not saying I I do it get it right all the time because I certainly don't but (laughs) Yeah, but that's a lovely spiritual kind of message, isn't it? Yeah. Love thyself first. Hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I just don't think I know that I've not done enough of, Hmm. not not nurtured myself enough. And now that I've taken the time to, you know, do a vision board, like I did a vision board at my last circle. (laughs) Oh, how lovely. Oh, yes. And and Oh, that's a beautiful vision board. And most of it is like is about abundance of health and contentment and wellness and dreaming and stuff it's not even about money or anything like that it's just just feeling good within myself yeah very powerful simplicity you know simplicity is is just a beautiful message a beautiful message yeah well thank you fiona thank you for joining us this afternoon That brings us to the end of this episode today. We hope that you've found it helpful in some way. And if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to call 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.